Hey listeners, Adam O'Donnell here. Today I interviewed Darius, an active angel investor and former VP of growth at Airtable. He also led growth teams at Dropbox and Facebook. One of the biggest questions I get from founders is, is my idea VC fundable? Is it big enough for VCs? A lot of VCs will say, look, I'm looking for great founders and great businesses, but they have to meet this threshold of being able to return the fund, at least in theory. If everything works, it needs to be so big that it returns, even my small percentage of the, of the company, returns the whole fund. And that could be hundreds of millions of dollars or even billions. Darius outlines a framework to help you sell the vision of how work you're working on now. It's the sequence to get you to that next level so that your company could potentially return their fund. You don't want to have too many steps to your strategic sequence. Really having two or three is maybe about as many as the believable. Each step in your strategic sequence can be something that you can do now that believably gets you kind of the antecedents, like the things you need to do the next thing in the strategic sequence. For instance, Netflix couldn't have bought content at scale until it was making money at scale, you know, and then pivoted it to that other business model. So you need to think about like, what can you do today that's gonna work and set you up to do an even bigger thing tomorrow? I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, and I'm on a mission to help founders oversubscribe their next round by learning from top VCs and entrepreneurs. I'm Darius. Um, my background, I've been an operator for 20 years, done almost 70 angel investments on the side. And I've finally decided that like, this is what I want to do full time. It's just so much fun working with founders, talking about what a company could be and figuring out those critical next steps to actually make it deliver on its vision. So I started my career in social, like social networks and going viral and all that fun stuff. But I learned that a bunch of that, those tools and techniques could ported, be ported over to B2B SaaS. And I learned that really at, at Dropbox, which is kind of a consumer SaaS company. And I've really gotten excited about it. I really want to spend, I think, the rest of my career helping B2B SaaS companies grow. I think it's just so great as a business and as a product for the world. Really, as a B2B SaaS company, you're helping a company do a better job of delivering whatever service it is with usually a tool that you provide. And so you're really helping any business in the world kind of do better um, for usually a relatively low price versus trying to do it yourself without that tool. So I think it's a really valuable kind of humanity ad and it's a really clean business. Like you usually just write software, sell it. People give you a portion of the value you generate and then you can scale it by just selling it to more people and adding servers. So I really like the business. And then the specific businesses I'm looking for right now are a few different types of SaaS. I kind of think of SaaS in two large categories. There's kind of vertical, which is industry specific and horizontal really that any company could use. But then even within that, I think there's different parts of horizontal. Like there's some things, some pieces of SaaS that I think of as role-based. And so that means like a few people at the company, a few roles will use that piece of SaaS. Then there's what I call department SaaS, which is means that everyone in a given department, but maybe not the whole company might use it. So I put Salesforce in this category, maybe like design tools or you know tools that you know just the engineering team would use. Like it might be 30% of the company use it, but not everyone. And then there's what I'll call universal SaaS. That's products where really like nearly everyone in the company does or could use it. So a number of the places I've worked like Dropbox and Airtable are universal SaaS. Uh, Figma, now that it has FigJam, which is you know kind of like that you know real-time board sort of experience is universal. Like anyone can put stuff up on there and organize their life. I maybe also put Jira in that category because nearly any department could really like have a ticketed backlog. You know, even if you're legal or you're IT or you know, outside of the product org, um, you could really use that product. So really what I'm looking for the most is that department and universal SaaS, and then occasionally some like role-based SaaS, I think is also quite interesting. So general like horizontal SaaS that anyone could use. Occasionally I also look at verticalized SaaS. I think if it's a big enough vertical, there's something there too. 
but those are kind of the buckets I think of. Um, it's really broad. It's like all of B2B SaaS really excites me, but that's my overall focus. Yeah. Is there an interesting trend that you've noticed in that either good or bad within those segments? Yeah. I think for kind of the role-based SaaS, especially there's this interesting way in which if you have um, a real focus on a given person's job and you build their most optimal workflow with some kind of data effect, I think you can really have an outsized effect on the market. Um, one of my favorite companies that does this is like Vanta and Pave. I mean, Vanta really goes deep with security professionals and really helps them do SOC 2 compliance in a, like a very like specific to-do list way. You still have to do some of it yourself. It's specific to the company, but it's a real tool that helps you do your job with a bespoke workflow and deep integrations with what I'll call fourth party tools, like all the tools that you're not directly integrating with. And then PAVE, as many people know, um, helps you figure out the right compensation package. If you're a recruiter or an HRBP, figures out like what's the right amount to pay this person in this new like remote first, very different world that we live in. And it aggregates data from a lot of different sources and gives you the data in such a way that you can easily figure that out without too much effort. Um, and so it really unlocks another level of like competency for like a small, a small recruiting team. Um, and it also matches their workflow. Like you put in the person you're hiring, where they are, and it kind of prints out some different salary ranges. Mm. Um, I'll also throw a vendor in that category. That was a company, um, you know, I've, I started that a little over a year and a half ago, and they really help people buy SaaS software. And so when you're buying SaaS software, you also need that workflow and that data network effect where we help you actually go through the process of buying the software, validating security review, everything, and then also have lots of data from the ecosystem to know what you should really be paying and helping you get the best price. So good, man. Well, thank you for those specific examples. I know that's helpful. What's one of the most impactful tactics or strategies that you would suggest to a founder who's fundraising? You know, a lot of it is like telling the story and the vision in the right way. A lot of VCs will say, look, I'm looking for great founders and great businesses, but they have to meet the threshold of being able to return the fund, at least in theory. If everything works, it needs to be so big that it returns, even my small percentage of the, of the company returns the whole fund. And that could be hundreds of millions of dollars or even billions. And so in order to like meet that threshold for a lot of VCs, you have to tell a pretty big story. So more and more B2B SaaS companies will start in a niche and say, okay, like I'm just focused on these people to prove out the company, to build the workflow, to really get it right. But you have to have some kind of story that from there, you're either going to grow to many or all companies or additional kind of roles or, you know, niches within, you know, that original uh, mandate or beyond that original mandate, honestly. Um, so I think it's really a question of like painting that big vision. One thing that really helped me with that is kind of tops down first principle thinking. I recommend to more and more people now this book called The Minto Method, which is kind of like early McKinsey thinking. Uh, from this brilliant woman named uh, Barbara Minto. And it really helps like tell a story in a very um, clear way that can resonate with people and give like a really big vision quickly and believably. Very cool. I, that, I mean, this this conversation has consistently come up where there's just a lot of founders, every founder who's building some kind of software tool thinks that they're qualified for VC funding. And it's just not true with the way that they're phrasing it. And so I, I've seen the, it, it feels like I felt some tension through founders around like, okay, if I go too big, then they're going to think it's not possible in terms of how can you boil the ocean? But if you go too small, then they're going to be like, well, that's just a small like add-on tool. It's not VC fundable. So is there any more you can say around that part of the story of how you make that connection? Maybe something you did that, something you saw that Airtable did or something like that? Yeah, no, it's a great call out and really nuanced. Um, there are enough products in market. You do have to start focused, but then you do have to go big. 
So one way I think about it, I, I kind of call it strategic sequencing. And it's one thing I did at Vendor. Um, I realized when I came in that we had a lot of amazing ideas about how to really change how SaaS software is bought and even sold. But, you know, as a small company, I was around employee 100, we couldn't build all of those, you know, in the next six months. And it would be a distraction to try to hunt down that entire vision at once. So the company that I think has done this most famously and perhaps obviously is Netflix. They had a strategic sequence where they started with, um, they started with, you know, DVDs in the mail. And so that's kind of like what they could do, existing other people's content, physical DVDs, and they would mail it to you and you'd mail it back. Um, their name is Netflix. So they kind of already had this vision of like getting, you know, movies over the internet, but they couldn't go straight to that. And so from there, they were able to build up like a large base of users and pivot into online content, but still other people's online content because they didn't have resources to create it yet. And they just didn't have enough like capital or scale, et cetera. But they did have enough people now to like buy online content deals and believably sell them online. Also broadband penetration was enough that it made sense to do that business model. And then from there, they had the scale and the dollars incoming, et cetera, to pivot it from buying content to creating content. And then they kind of completed that strategic sequence, at least so far. <laughs> um, so it's one of those things where you don't want to have too many steps to your strategic sequence. Really having two or three is maybe about as many as the believable. Uh, beyond that, it becomes just too many things. But each step in your strategic sequence can be something that you can do now that believably gets you kind of the antecedents, like the things you need to do the next thing in the strategic sequence. For instance, Netflix couldn't have bought content at scale until it was making money at scale, you know, and then pivoted it to that other business model. So you need to think about like, what can you do today that's going to work and set you up to do an even bigger thing tomorrow and then an even bigger thing after that. And if you can paint that picture in a somewhat consistent, relatively simple way, with just one or two thresholds that you meet at each step, then I think it's a believable, like start small, go big deck. Mm. And I love the word believable because no one knows for sure, but you're saying it has to be plausible based on other things. And it's obviously not proven out yet because they, they couldn't prove that until they had finished their first step in the sequence. But it sounds like it's also connecting to the broader story that you're talking about. Like, here's where yeah. we're going. Here's why what we're working on is going to get us to this thing. Because if you just invest in this one thing, it's not going to return the fund. Like the current thing that we're now doing is not going to return the fund, but you have to, the investor has to believe that they can, once they accomplish that, that they can then be in a position to return the fund with the ultimate vision that they're selling. Yeah. I mean, VCs at the end of the day are like buying a house based on like a set of plans. <laughs> so all they have to go on is like how good those plans are and maybe some early traction if you have something that's really, you know, a little bit later or like taking off. So mm. got to make some good plans. <laughs> that's so good. Um, can I pause for one second? And there, there's a deck that I that I would love to share my screen and have you sure. review it really quick. It's And I want you to review it with this lens. I literally just talked to the founder um, last week and I can do it publicly because he submitted it for a public um, uh, deck review that we did at Zendesk uh, last week. So um, it's a lot of fun. I'm going to share my screen right now. One, <laughs> two, three. Um, this is this is too much fun, man. Thank you for doing this. This is great. No, I appreciate the questions. This is this is great. I just I only like to ask questions that are helpful for me um, as a former founder in VC. Okay, one second. So um, I'm going to make you a little bigger so we can do this, and then I'm I'm watching your time. This will be super quick. Uh, All good. Okay, I'm gonna. Can I kick out your otter? Um, yeah. Just just to make. No, no, for sure. Cool. Thanks. Um, we're recording this. And so, uh, okay. Okay, cool. 
Um, I think we should be good recording, recording. Yeah, cool. Um, awesome. So um, in, in this light of strategic sequencing, help us with this specific example of this cool company called Apollo, um, gamified audible for millennials and Gen Z and Gen Z. And, and just talking to the founder, they, they knew that they had the challenge of, is their vision big enough to return a fund or is this even VC fundable? Um, they've gotten some cool traction. They have an amazing deck, but just in quickly going a couple slides to it, um, would love to see what you think, how they could adapt their story in any kind of low hanging fruit that would kind of move them from just like creating a small couple hundred million dollar company to a billion dollar, you know, changing um, thing. Do you want to? Yeah, for sure. Um, so one way I think about it is you have to kind of go where people are today. Like one of my other analogies is like an aqueduct. This is especially good for growth, but it can kind of work for this. Like an aqueduct needs to start where there's water and then end where there's demand for the water. And then along the way, you need to have like an always downhill really tight experience that you don't lose all the water on the way down. Um, and so in this particular case, I think where people are starting today is definitely podcasts have come back. Um, audiobooks are pretty popular. Um, and both of those, and even Clubhouse, right, has like been a breakout. And so really all that sets people up for using their audio on their phone kind of in the background all the time, I would say. Mm -hmm. like. For me, it's often like commuting or exercising, and I love to have some interesting thing in the background. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then there's this idea of kind of micro content, obviously most most prominently with TikTok, but also with Instagram and other things of like little either pictures, but also like 15 to one minute experiences where you like watch a video or learn a thing. And it's a little nugget that's like shareable, enjoyable. You can snack on them, so to speak. So, I mean, I think where I'd want to see this thing line up and I haven't, you're actually, this is like a blind react here. Yes, um, <laughs> I'm putting you on but, the spot. <laughs> um, yeah, but like really what I'd want to see here is some connection to like that kind of usage in the market and some idea of like, hey, are we targeting, you know, the TikTok generation? And if so, like, how does our content match up? Is it kind of scrollable? Can you jump in, jump out? Or are we targeting like the audiobook podcast set? And in that case, mm -hmm. is it high quality? Is it like from people that they respect and know? Is it findable? Um, and depending on who you're targeting, you might need, you know, like more active content or like higher ACV content, so to speak. Um, so once you figure out like where you're starting and you're kind of mapping to that market, then I think there's lots of opportunities, although slightly different with each of those. I think, you know, if you want to be the TikTok of audio, I think there's something there, like there's a background perspective on there. And then maybe what that looks like is a few minute clips that people listen to and then like skip to the next one as they're like, you know, on their commute, or maybe it's like higher quality content from like, you know, influencers or something else where people are subscribing and then almost sitting down to listen. So, you know, let's see. So monetization MVP. Um, I mean, this seems reasonable. I know podcasts are monetizing pretty well. And so if you get a lot of people, you know, if you get a lot of people following your podcast, you can definitely sell ads into it. Or I think, you know, if this app really works, there could be um, a subscription model on it. Although talking myself through it just right now, I mean, Spotify is a subscription model, but neither TikTok nor podcasts have like a paid subscription model. And so given that I'm modeling it off those last two, I do mm -hmm. wonder if there's space for people paying for it when they're not used to paying for it, right? They're used to paying for like professional audio content, like, you know, music. Um, 
but they're not as used to paying for um, kind of like snackable video or audio content. So, you know, if it's not an ad model, then I'd, I mean, I'm not sure an ad model wouldn't work. I mean, Spotify does have an ad model and it makes you pay for it to get out of the ads. Like I could see something like that maybe working here. Um, and even TikTok has kind of an ad model through the influencer paid campaigns. So, you know, there could be something there and certainly influencer paid campaigns are very prominent on podcasts. Um, so I don't know that there's something there. I guess the other question I have would, and maybe I missed this in the deck because I was talking through it, but is it more of kind of a fiction entertainment thing or more and more of kind of like a smart learning thing? I mean, obviously it's like everything eventually, but like, where do you start? Um, because those are slightly different models as well, potentially. I really appreciate that. I know we just taxed your brain incredibly to be able to talk and review a deck at the same time. This is incredibly helpful. And I, um, I hope anyone who's just listening uh, will be able to see the video as well because it, it's helpful to kind of see what he's looking at. But I, 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 it, helped, it helped us to kind of think about sequencing how they could be selling that long-term vision. But of course, I love the, the believability piece that you brought up earlier was like that next sequence that they're going to make to get to the, to the unicorn business that has to be believable. And I love how you're just testing believability uh, just off the top of your head. And you're probably, you know, you might think about it more down the road, but it seems like you're probably not going to be that far off just as an investor saying, ah, does that make sense? Does it not? Yeah, I guess my gut for where to start is with the most amazing audio content, just like TikTok has the most amazing visual content. I'd say probably 10 to 40% of the TikToks I've seen are primarily audio. Mm -hmm. um, there's even this trend of having like horizontal audio with like some goofy background for the other half of the screen, because of course it's like required vertical portrait mode. Um, I wonder if a bunch of those like comedy, like smart, influential people talking, you know, personal advice. Um, I wonder if those could be like in an audio format that is more kind of background explicit. Um, I also wonder how you control it. Cause I wonder like ideally the screen's off ideally it's like in your pocket mm. um, and i wonder if there's a world there because like if the screen is on then why wouldn't you just be on tiktok watching the same content and listening to it and so th there really is a question of like if it's tiktok without visuals who cares like you could just watch tiktok um so i feel like it has to be something that you can like put in your pocket i don't know that's kind of my gut feel on it <laughs> that's so good man well thank you for playing with us here on this i i hope this is helpful uh, to victor their awesome founder who's who's really just um, done a great job outlining this, but it's just so open to learning and constantly just iterating. I really respect that. So this was an amazing episode, man. I learned so much. This is why I do this. It's not to make money. It's literally to help founders. And I used to be a founder and I used to be a VC and I just want to have those perspectives. So thank you. Thank you. We'll be publishing this soon. What's the best way to reach out to you? Is it Twitter or LinkedIn? Yeah, Twitter's great. I'm just Darius MC, and we can put it in the show notes. Um, awesome. uh, feel free to friend me on uh, LinkedIn as well, but uh, but yeah, my content's on Twitter. Darius, thank you so much. Thank you, Adam. It's been really fun. Absolutely. Boom. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Top VC Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell. Check out my LinkedIn. Always willing to reach out, connect if you have questions, if you want introductions. There's a lot more than just a podcast. Boom.